You're in the water loop. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. Visit waterloop.org for all of our content. This is episode number 140, Most Endangered River 2022, the Colorado. The Colorado River has been named the most endangered river in the United States by American Rivers, with the organization citing the challenges it faces from the impacts of climate change outdated water management practices, over-allocation of resources, and a failure to manage the river equitably. These problems and the overall state of the Colorado River are discussed in this episode with Matt Rice, director of the Southwest Region for American Rivers. Matt also talks about how to respond to the challenges, including through funding from the new Infrastructure Act, expansion of a wide range of water efficiency measures, and by fully involving tribes in decisions and management. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. For this episode, we're going to talk about the most endangered river in 2022, an announcement that's made by American Rivers, joined by Matt Rice. He is director of the Southwest Region for American Rivers. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Travis. All right. So uh, this year, 2022, what is the most endangered river in America? This year, it should be no surprise to anybody, but we are listing the Colorado River as the number one most endangered river in the country Hmm. because of the effects of climate change, um, demand for the river's water, and um, outdated river management. Great. Well, I want to dive into each of those buckets uh, during our conversation here. But uh, you're out there. You're in Colorado. This, you're the Southwest guy for American rivers. What's going on with the Colorado these days? What's kind of the state of the river? Well, we're we're in a crisis. Um, it's a crisis we've many of us have seen coming for for many many years. Um, over the last twenty years, the river has lost about twenty percent of its flow, which is pretty a pretty remarkable statistic. And and I think a lot of climate projections are suggesting that we could lose an additional ten to twenty percent more of the water available in in the river. And and um, we're 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 at this key point right now. Reservoir levels are dropping precipitously both in Lake Mead and Lake Powell. Um, runoff is not what it was or historically has been. Um, just very, very simply, we don't have the river that we used to have. And we need to take proactive measures. We need to be in solution mode to implement um, the types of projects that build resilience for the Colorado River Basin, types of projects that help water users across all sectors use less water. Um, and we need to do that now. And we have an opportunity, a once-in-a-generation opportunity, um, with the passage of the the infrastructure bill that directs eight point three million dollar billion dollars with a B um, uh, to Western Water. And we want to see we want to see that water that that money put to good use. Hmm. Yeah, like you said in the beginning, you said no surprise that the Colorado was selected this year. The you know the the news is just full of headlines about the situation on the river, not just in the west, but we we see it back here in the east where I am. Those stories, uh, what Lake Powell, Lake Mead at their lowest levels ever since the dams were built uh, to create those two lakes. That's you know alarm bells going off to me. Um, 
and it's it's uh, it's kind of scary. I always see the stories about snowpack also, right? Like snow's not coming. That's that melt that you guys depend on in the spring to, to replenish the water supply and everything. So you mentioned three buckets here, climate change as one of them. Um, what's really going on? Uh, talk a little bit more about the impacts uh, and future threats of climate change for the Colorado River. Yeah, well... Um... <clears throat> The climate crisis, I think from our perspective, is a water crisis. And ground zero for that crisis is the Colorado River Basin. Um, this region is is heating at a faster rate than, than most other regions in the world um, because it's a hotter, drier climate. Um, throughout the entire year, that sucks water and moisture out of the soil, out of the rivers, out of the reservoirs. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of focus has been put on snowpack in the past. And the interesting thing now that we're seeing is we're having average years, maybe a little bit below average, maybe a little bit above average over the last several years. Um, but that's not translating to more water in the river because the soils are so dry, because it's so much hotter, because it's so much more arid. Just the environment sucks more water and that water is not making it to the river. Um, we're not able to deliver it to downstream in the headwaters of Colorado, not able to deliver as much to downstream states and water users as we have in the past. And that, that creates uh, legal issues and complexities, to say the least. Mm. That's one thing that I, I guess I've seen in stories, but I don't think about as much, and maybe others don't think about the idea that it's it's not just that there's less water coming from the sky, less snow melting, but the the higher temps uh, are evaporating water that's in the soil. And that's just all part of the complexity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. It's hard to, it's hard to, we're kind of behind the ball and it's, we're finding it harder and harder to catch up. So again, this, this year uh, we're, we, we have about an average, average snowpack year kind of across the upper basin, Colorado and Wyoming. Um, but we're, we're projected to deliver just a fraction of what we normally would uh to Lake Powell. Hmm. So what are the proposed solutions? What actions does American Rivers think should happen to try to address the impacts of climate change? That's a big, that's a big problem to, to deal with for sure. But what are some of the steps? Yeah, sure. So it's, you know, more than anything, right? I mean, we have to take advantage of this, this, this new federal funding, um, to, to invest in climate resilience, not only in Colorado, but throughout the Western United States. Um, again, there's $8.3 billion directed towards Western water. Um, these solutions that we talk about, you can find them on, on our 10strategies.net report that American Rivers contributed to with many others. Um, they're, not, they're not groundbreaking. They're, 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 all, they're all interventions that you have you have heard before you've talked about, you understand things like modernizing agricultural or other water infrastructure. A lot of the infrastructure that delivers water in the Colorado River Basin um, is very old and it's not efficient. It leaks. Um, and it's also very expensive to fix. And we have an opportunity to do that now. Um, investing in recycling and reuse in our urban areas. So we don't we could we could use water more times. We can we can squeeze more drops out of the water, uh, the water that we have, which is less than we had before. Um, investing in in watershed health and forest health um, has water benefits. It also um, it also builds resilience uh, against catastrophic wildfire. That's that's more and more common um, in this world of climate change that we live in. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned the the reuse and the recycling. I am always amazed uh, that there's not like a real urgent push on water reuse and recycling, right? Like uh, there's some exciting stuff happening at a, on a big scale um, in San Diego or mm-hmm. uh, down in Oh gosh, they're they're planning some big stuff in LA, right? Like really mm-hmm. taking this water, cleaning it so it's it's like basically good enough for drinking water and using it again. And I'm just like, why are there not just this urgent effort to get that going across the across the West? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's with a lot of a, a lot of those activities, a lot of those different solutions. It's um, there are there are there are very good things happening out there. It's starting to ramp up. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. <clears throat> what what we're concerned about is that you know we we need we need that urgency now we need that kind of urgent implementation we need leadership from the states from the federal government um, to support those efforts um, none of us can do this alone right I mean we 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 are not going to win if we aren't if we aren't figuring out new ways to work together to get this stuff to scale so it's it's happening it just needs to happen more and bigger and more scaled yeah absolutely uh, one of the other issues you point to with the Colorado that has it as most endangered in, in 2022 here is the idea of water management kind of being outdated. What does that mean? Well, um, there's a long history on the Colorado River. This is the 100th year anniversary of the signing of the Colorado River Compact, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, <clears throat> that was a time when the hydrology was different. The river was was different, was bigger. Um, or at least there was an assumption that it was a bigger river <laughs> and it was divided up to manage it that way. Um, and we've largely kind of stayed true to 1922 as far as how much water is available in the river to develop. Um, that's not the reality now. Uh, we have a much smaller river when we, you know, we historically made decisions based on a 15 to 17 million acre foot river. Um, now we need to start making decisions based on a river that's maybe nine to 11 million acre feet. That's a significant that's a significant difference in size, right? And so we need to, um, you know, we need to kind of face the truth here and accept that. And that's, um, in order to do that on, on the management side, we need to think creatively about how we manage the river in more flexible ways, considering that, that, that because of climate change, the hydrology is gonna be increasingly uncertain from year to year to year. So we need the tools to be able to manage the river um, in a more flexible way. That being said, it's our it's from our perspective, we're not going to be able to manage our way out of this crisis. So it's both it's both going to require f- increased flexible water management, but also massive investment in the solutions that I just talked about. So forest health, watershed health, infrastructure. Um, one thing I didn't mention before, how can we invest in our soils so agriculture can continue to be productive and profitable and grow food for the country? Um, uh, are we growing the right crops in all the right places? We should, we should, we should think about how we, how we do that. Can we, can we grow more drought resistant crops and do we have the funding and the support from the states and the federal government to do that at, at scale? Yeah, sure. Uh, the idea that there is not as much water in the river as, you know, was estimated a hundred years ago, or even that, that, uh, is allocated now, um, what's it going to take to get 
the powers that be, we'll just call them, to say, you know what, this is how much water we're going to say is in the river. We're, we're shrinking the size of the pie, and then we're going to divide it based on that. That seems like a very important fundamental step to everything else. Well, it, that, that may be the step that we need to take. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily comment on that because mm. that's, that's an incredibly complex question, right? Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hundred years of, of management in the basin, um, kind of being flipped, flipped in the other direction. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that could be part of it, but I think it, there are other tools, you know, that we okay. can use. We can look at, annual hydrology I'm, and i'm not advocating for any one policy here but i'm just saying that sure. there, are, there are other ways to look at at how we manage the river just uh, rather than based kind of solely on lower basin and upper basin supplies maybe we can combine them maybe we can be more flexible about how we move water from one place to another that that is beneficial for the environment for fish and wildlife um the river runs through nine national parks, mm. um, so there are there are natural values that are are really important to manage for as well, um, and that needs to be that needs to be part of the equation. Yeah, okay. understood. Understood. Uh, the other thing you mentioned is about managing the river equitably. So one of the reasons that Colorado is is holding this spot as most endangered is is the chat, the problems that are going on on that front. What what are the problems? How is the Colorado not being managed equitably right now? Sure. Well, I, I uh, yeah. So I mean, there are there are more than thirty Native American tribes that that depend on the Colorado River. Um, uh, these tribes are, hold the right to, to very significant, very senior water rights, um, many of which have not been fully developed. Um, yet historically, uh, the tribes have not had um, an equal or an equitable um, or meaningful kind of voice at the policy decision-making table. And if we're going to have a sustainable Colorado River, um, we need critically, critically, critically important stakeholders like like the tribes to be part of those discussions in a in in a more meaningful way than they have been in the past. Um, it seems like there's a lot of attention on that, so it might be an area that um, could be addressed easier or sooner. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with every decision in the basin, it's another opportunity for mm. for the to for the tribes to have a kind of an equal an equal seat at the table. Um, and again, I mean, it's it's so critically important um, that 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 happens uh, not only for equitable water management, but for the future of the river. I mean, they the the, the tribes need to be be front and center in decision making. Sure, um, wanted to ask you just about the Southwest and and. You've got these just booming cities, cities that continue to grow, right? Phoenix, uh, Denver, where you are, um, you know, St. George, Utah, wh whatever it might be, you know, like just rapid growth. It's a, a, an amazing part of the country. People want to live there, right? Yeah. Um, how do you balance that with just the simple water needs, the reality of how much water is in that river, what the future looks like? Um, you know, how, how, how can that that development, population growth, all that water needs that come with that be balanced with the reality of the Colorado River? That's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, and, it's almost and like I, one of those uh, big philosophy questions. There's no real answer to, you're just meant to think <laughs> about it, right? Yeah. Well, I, I do think, I do think there's an answer. Um, and I think there are models too, right? It's so um, in many places like Denver, um, like Albuquerque, like, 
Tucson, Arizona, like Las Vegas. Um, we've seen massive population increase, um, but we've actually seen a reduction in water use. Mm. Um, these places are, are, are growing smarter. Um, they're growing maybe even a little bit denser. There's less turf, less lawn to, to water. Um, they're growing in a way that, that reflects where they are, which is the desert Southwest. And so there is a way to do this. Um, it's a, it can be a challenge in a place like, like Colorado or Arizona, where there is a desire for, for large landscaped yards, for example. And in, in Colorado, um, uh, like Arizona, where we are aware of our, our water supply limitations, um, as evidenced by how expensive it is to deliver water to new newly built subdivisions and everything else. Um, there's a little bit of a disconnect um, with you know, maybe some elected officials in Colorado that look to the east and see nothing but kind of undeveloped plain and in their heads, probably subdivisions popping up, popping up everywhere. Um, but there, but that view and those hopes and dreams aren't necessarily connected um, to water supply. So, and that that's that's a this is part of a I think a bigger question from my perspective is that um, you know when we when we go to the bathroom or we go to the kitchen we turn on the faucet the water comes out right so we we it's 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 hard to it's hard to realize in any any real fundamental way. Um, that there's a drought that is having massive impact on the environment, on fish, on farms, in other parts of the state when our tap keeps keeps getting turned on or when um, our tap keeps getting turned on and water keeps coming out. And then there are, there are no mandatory water restrictions during a time of drought in some of these urban areas. So we can keep watering our lawn like we have in the past. Um, so there's a disconnect about where this water comes from. And that's critically important. It's it's not only important for kind of on the individual level, how we use water, how much water we water our lawns with, how long we take showers, et cetera. Um, it's important that we we know that connection and we hold our elected leaders accountable, that they know our elected leaders know that that water and climate resilience is important for the future of Colorado or Arizona or New Mexico. Um, and and that they they vote that way. I mean that I think it's a it's a it's kind of a, a bigger bigger political challenge than just kind of individual use. Hmm. Both are important, but yeah, yeah. So great. Well, so Colorado River most endangered twenty twenty two American Rivers has put it in that spot. Um, and I guess I wanted to close by asking, what's the purpose of that? You put you put out this report. You identify this river. What do you hope that 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 does? Well, I think for um, for like for you, Travis, and and your listeners are all over the country. I'm assuming. Yep. Um, and, you know, I really want we really want folks to know that um, you know this is not just a regional issue that you can read about in some newspaper. This is important to people that live in Connecticut or Florida or even you know other parts of the world. Um, I mean, this is the, this, the stakes are massively high. This river provides water to to approximately 40 million people. It drives a $1.4 trillion economy, probably much larger than that because that number is from 2014. Um, so if we're, if we're unable to meet these challenges at this time of crisis, um, this is a, this is a national crisis. Um, and I, I, 
I, I say that just to 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 connect it to your listeners in Connecticut, for example. Sure. Right? Sure. I mean, it, it's like if 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 we're unable to meet this this challenge, and the river crashes, um, it's it's going to have implications far far beyond the Southwest. Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, it was good talking to you. Sorry, it was about a little bit of a bummer subject, <laughs> you know, right? Then kind of, but it's but it's good. Yeah. The Colorado River is amazing. It's a beautiful part of the country. It's important to get this information out there. Uh, but like you pointed out throughout the conversation today, there are solutions, there are actions yes. that we can take, and so I think that's what the focus is. The focus should be on, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I I am optimistic. If we work together, we can accomplish anything. We have the tools. We have the resources now with the Infrastructure Act. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it. We got to be in solution mode. Yeah. can do this. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. Great to talk to you. Waterloo. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.